Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Uh, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, um, we're focusing on love. We're focusing on noticing God in one another. Um, and we're focusing on Joseph, uh, which I think is going to be really neat because uh, I love the Mary story in the Bible. I love Mother Mary. Um, I love reflecting on the way she's like the God bear and, and it's profound, but I've never really noticed the, the Joseph story. And there's an element of the Joseph story that is really profound. And I'm really excited to share with us tonight. So before I talk about Joseph, we have to understand Matthew's uh, infancy narrative is very different from Luke's. And so part of the exercise I'm calling us all to tonight is to imagine if we only had Matthew's story and we'd never heard of Luke's. There was no account of Luke's. It would be very different. Did you know that um, in Matthew's story, Mary doesn't speak once? Not once. She never speaks. There's no angel appearing to anyone. There's no Elizabeth. There's no Magnificat. Uh, there's no census. They don't travel to Bethlehem needing a room for the baby to be born and then are told there's no room. There's no baby laying in a manger. There's no heavenly chorus in the sky. No shepherds keeping watch by night. In Matthew's story, there are only dream visits to Joseph and a wild trip to Egypt. There are magi or astrologers from the East who come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and that's not in Luke's story, but Matthew's version is unique. And so I would like to read to us a few verses um, from after the genealogy in Matthew. And I want you to notice and imagine who we would be as a church and, and, and who we would be generation to generation as a church if we only had Matthew's version, okay? So immediately after the genealogy, it goes like this. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her or divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Has anyone here ever had a really weird dream and you woke up and immediately radically changed your life? Probably not. And maybe you have. I'd like to hear that story. But So in a dream, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Period. End of dream. Wake up. That's it. Um, and then Matthew tells us, but presumably Joseph did not know this and Mary did not know this. Um, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. Now, um, so, so the, the next part is like, and then the baby was born. Uh, presumably she doesn't travel anywhere when she's pregnant. She can give birth there, kind of in their home uh, around their family. And, um, but then they get a visit from these astrologers from the East with gold, frankincense, and myrrh and stories about stars and kings. And 
They were not warned this would happen. Just suddenly there are these strange visitors. Um, but then um, the visitors had, you know, stopped by Herod's uh, palace house residence and kind of disturbed Herod with like, there's a new king. And Herod, who's the king, is like, what? Not on my watch. Um, and there's a problem. So then uh, Joseph has another crazy dream. And in chapter two, um, it goes like this, uh, chapter two, just 13 to 15. Now, after they had left, they being the, the magi or the astrologers, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, like middle of the night, get up, wake up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Middle of the night. We don't know how old Jesus is at this point, maybe a few days, a few months, a couple of years, maybe he's already weaned. But in the middle of the night, um, your, your husband wakes you up and says, I just had a wild dream, pack your suitcase, we're going on foot 400 plus kilometers to another country where our people have not historically been treated well. Right now, get your shoes on right now, get the baby, feed him. And then we're going because I had a dream. All right. And there's another dream um, later on uh, in chapter two, when Herod died. So this is years later, like Jesus has been living his little childhood life in Egypt. Years later, he gets another dream. It says, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Uh, no, this is the, oh yeah, yeah, no, this is the same. It's just cool that the angel says the same thing. Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. So another 400 journey northeast. For those who were seeking the child's life are now dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, who's Herod's son, was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in another dream, fourth dream, uh, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. So imagine this is the only Christmas story we have. He's told in a dream that he should actually marry this woman who's pregnant with another person's child, even though the scriptures are clear that he should not. And in another dream, he gets up in the night, packs up, and they flee um, for fear of their lives, like refugees to Egypt. And they're there for a long time. And he has another dream go back home now. And so you imagine it's like, guess what? We get to go back home. And Mary's like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> and they're almost home in Judea. And an angel of the Lord appears in the dream again and says, not Judea. It's not safe. Actually go north to Galilee, a place they've presumably never lived before and start a new life in a new town, 70, 80 kilometers away from Jerusalem in Nazareth. And he does it. He says, yes. And uh, Jesus grows up until his ministry begins in Nazareth in Galilee. Mary does not speak once, and Joseph never actually sees God except in his dreams. So imagine you're Joseph, every one of you. You're a good man, devout. You know your scriptures. You know your faith tradition. You're a rule follower. You're well-respected. Your fiancé is pregnant, and it's not your baby. And you know what the scriptures have to say. You know the law. In Deuteronomy 22, there is a long section. Um, I didn't put it up here, but because it yeah, it's, it's intense. In from verse 13 to 22 about how, what you should do if a woman is a, pregnant with someone else's baby. And the conclusion is that you have, she's executed. You stone her. And if you know who the father of the child is, you stone him as well. 
And that's just the law. That's what you do. So you can imagine Joseph's torn of like, I don't really want to kill this woman. Like that is the law. That is the legal thing. Like that was probably somewhat of a common practice in the Asian world. Jesus intercepts one of those common practices once, right? Whoever hasn't sinned to throw the first stone, like they're following the law. They're doing the right thing. And so Joseph's like, I don't really want this like lovely lady. And you remember like back then it was arranged marriage. It's not like he's been dating her for four years and loves her so much. And he's like, no, he might not know her very well. And the proper thing is like, sir, it's not my baby. So, but he's like, maybe I could just kind of keep the law, but also protect this woman who I'm like, I, I, I think is a great person and we'll just quietly divorce. And then it's for her and her parents to deal with kind of the explanation of where the baby came from. He has every right to do that. He could divorce her and just go on with his life. It's what the scriptures would tell him to do. It's what his parents and his religious community would tell him to do. Likely, it's what his rabbi would tell him to do. And divorcing her would actually be the socially acceptable thing. And no one would think of him as a bad man for not wanting to marry a woman pregnant with someone else's baby. Everyone would agree. Everyone would support him. And it would be a very easy decision. Case closed. But you're Joseph, and you wake up one morning. I had a weird dream. <laughs> I've decided I'm staying with Mary. And nine months later, you're a stepdad. Suddenly, magi appear with gold and frankincense and stories of strange astrological activity. That would be strange. Imagine someone's like, Cancer's in Gemini. The Virgo is giving birth to, I don't know. Like, you would just be like, this is not my religion. I don't. I don't know, and I'm looking at you, I don't know, Virgo is giving birth, there. anyway, there's some astrological thing happening, and you're like, oh, astrology, this makes sense, like, imagine being married, you're like, okay, apparently your dreams are what we're following, and then these strange men I've never seen before with gold, frankincense, and myrrh are telling us about the stars, but okay, um, and so you have these strange astro astrological things. And then another dream that apparently the king of your nation is trying, well, going to try and kill your baby. And your husband wakes you up in the middle of the night. We're going to flee to Egypt, 400 kilometers on foot. And then years later, we don't know anything about their life in Egypt. Another dream. Get up, go back. Maybe Mary was like, well, I like Egypt now. Like I can speak the language. Moses can speak the language. He's got, I mean, not Moses. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really grateful that my subconscious did that. But um, maybe Jesus speaks the language. Maybe he's got some Egyptian friends. Um, but get up, go back north, go back to your homeland. Um, and before he settles his family in Judea, where he's likely from, another dream, go north to Galilee, 80 kilometers farther into a new town, a new life. And that's all we know. Four dreams and a new life. Joseph the dreamer. He could have had a different life but he chose to trust a dream over the scriptures. That's weird. He chose to trust a dream over tradition and over societal norms. He chose a different way. He said yes. At Advent, we focus a lot on Mary's yes. Um, and it's a beautiful act of resistance and an act of recovery from like many years and many of us still recovering from trauma of like complementarian churches, like no doubt, like we can always keep talking about Mary and Mary's yes. But I've never actually reflected um, until this year on Joseph's yes. Joseph also had to say yes. Um, yes to God. Yes to Mary. Yes to a baby. Yes to immigration twice. Yes to a whole new life. 
Yes to a year of no sex with his spouse, his new spouse. Yes to a life of silence. Nothing else was ever said in the gospel about Joseph. Yes to a life of silence, sacrifice, and patience. Yes to submission. Yes to a reckless love. Yes to being a minor character in his own story. Yes to being the protector and defender of God. So, does Joseph remind you of any other biblical dreamers named Joseph? There are actually scholars who have tried to argue, and it's a compelling case, but we'll never know. Most of biblical scholarship is like pretentious speculation. But... Um, <clears throat> proud member. Um, but there have been speculations that perhaps uh, sort of the early church and history had kind of forgotten the real name of, of Jesus's um, sort of father, adopted father, and that the authors um, in, in history um, kind of gave him the name Joseph because of how similar his story was to the Joseph of Genesis. Because Joseph also encountered God through dreams, multiple dreams, and the story is very similar. Um, Joseph, in, in the book of Genesis, um, he's the youngest son of Israel, the, the, the father of the Jewish faith, like the, Israel, the man Jacob who wrestled with God and his name's changed to Israel. Um, he's much loved by his, his father, and he's the one that receives the coat or the gown of many colors. Um, but he ends up being abused, mistreated, and trafficked by his own brothers. Um, he's sold, and he's forced to migrate to Egypt, where he is falsely accused, he is imprisoned, He's treated unjustly uh, through and through, but his dreams uh, guide him. God appears to him in dreams. He's given the ability to interpret dreams, and he has dreams. Um, and at the end of many, many years, Joseph ends up a wealthy Egyptian official overseeing the food supply during a great famine. And one crazy day, to his surprise, no doubt, his brothers show up having no idea he's even alive. No doubt the brothers and his father, uh, Jacob or Israel, uh, assumed he was dead. Um, and they show up and they're starving to death and they need food. Now, Joseph has every right to hate them and send them away empty. He has every right to say, no, guess what goes around comes around and be mad and, and choose vengeance, choose an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The scriptures say it. But this Joseph, just like our Joseph in the Advent story, chose a better way. I'm going to read to you. Um, I don't have a slide for it, but I want to read to you just a small part of the Genesis 45. It's really profound if you think of this Joseph through the eyes of uh, Mary's husband. So in Genesis 45 here, um, the brothers have appeared. Joseph knows it's them, but they don't know it's Joseph because Joseph looks thoroughly Egyptian at this point. So it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard him. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence because they knew what they deserved. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, the famine will continue. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
So he immediately forgives them with, do not worry, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. So Joseph knows that he was not given power over. He was given power on behalf of. And he says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in this region with me, you and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all that you have, and I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Um, and he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and afterward his brothers talked with him. He chose a better way. He could have done the socially acceptable thing. He could have done the thing that we would all want to do. He could have been angry. He could have been hateful. Same thing Joseph could have done when he found out that Mary's pregnant with someone else's child, but they each chose a better way. And so with that, I think each of us is a Joseph character in our story. Each of us has been invited to choose a better way, to respond with love when none would fault you for self-righteous anger. Each of us has been invited to attend the birth of God in another to make space for what God is doing in others and in our community, to be open to what's likely a messier, more complicated and more uncomfortable story. You can look at the person across it from you and see just another ordinary person at best, or another messed up person, another difficult person, and you could treat them accordingly. Or you could be Joseph and see the fullness of God in them. You could see that the God you've been seeking, the God you've been longing to hear from, is there in that person, that difficult person. Imagine what could happen if we at Awaken chose the better way, if we chose to see the light in the darkness. Um, in Matthew 25, so this is Matthew's story. I love this. That this there's a story that there's a text that's totally unique to Matthew, just like the birth story. Um, in Matthew 25, where um, Jesus is talking about that great day. Um, at the end of, of history, where um, the resurrection of the dead happens, and you have these people, um, the righteous people, and they say, essentially, where were you? Where were you? And he's like, when I was, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was in Mary's womb, and you said yes to me. The God that you've been looking for, the God we've been praying for, the God we're like, are you there? Are you there? At the end of it, Jesus says, I was there. If you had eyes to see, I was there. I was right there the whole time. And so this brings me, um, I think there was an image, a slide. Yeah, this was the art from uh, Sarah Speed. This was Joseph in his dreams. And then there's this one of Mary and Joseph um, fleeing to Egypt because of the angel dreams. And this was a, I could not find anything other than the like <clears throat> white Jesus Bible imagery, but this was Joseph being stole, sold um, from his, you know, by his brothers when he, from the book of Genesis. And then the next one, I like this image a little better. When the brothers meet Joseph and they don't realize it's him. And when they do, they're afraid that he's going to hurt them, but he doesn't, he loves them instead. Um, I'm going to tell you a story that most of you don't know about that's very relevant. It happened this year in 2022 that has to do with the Blue House. So I'm like, is Holly here? Oh, she is. She's here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, she was. Okay. That's fine, too, because um, it's about a house before she lived there, but now she does. Anyway, 
Lent of this year, March 12th, 2022. Glendon knows. If Chris is on Zoom, he knows what I'm about to say. Um, we are hosting a Films for Faith where you can come and watch a sad Lent movie and feel those feelings of sorrow and grief, which we try to like make space for during Lent. Um, and this night is our very first one. We're watching a movie called Silence with Adam Driver and Liam Neeson and others who are famous, whose names I, Andrew Garfield, important. And it's this profound story based on a true story about these missionaries in Japan um, who uh, really feel like the silence of God is overwhelming, that like everything keeps going wrong and there's a sense of God's silence. And I'm here, I'm setting up and so far no one's shown up, showed up. And I'm also now like feeling like these sad boy vibes of like God's silence. Like why doesn't a way can come to these cool things all alone, whatever. But slowly, like as everybody does five minutes late, a bunch of people showed up. And um, Dave King was there, but he had, had broken ribs from uh, getting hit by a car on his bike uh, like a few weeks before. And so we wanted to get a couch because so, he it would be too painful to sit on a chair. I know all the elements of the story so far. You're like, what is Awaken? Just wait. It's going to get weird. <laughs> so we're here. We want to start. I asked Chris and Glendon if they could go into the blue house because that's that little house right here beside our building. Um, because we have our, all of our Advent and Lent and our candles and our Sunday school stuff, a bunch of stuff over there that we're storing. We share that space with another church who rents our building and like an artist. Anyway, I'm like, just go over there. Here's the key and take the couch and we'll bring it in here for Dave and then we'll put it back later. So they go off. Two minutes later, they come back. They're like, dude, you didn't tell us that people lived in that house. I was like, nobody lives in that house. What are you talking about? They're like, oh, there are definitely people living in that house right now. As in, there's the room is filled with cigarette smoke. There are cigarette butts everywhere. There's garbage everywhere. There's like beer cans everywhere. It's like absolute mayhem. The house, like the boxes are dumped out. It's just the house has been trashed and there are people there now. I'm like, what? What? So what did you do? And they're like, we literally walked in. We're like, hey, just here for the couch. And then we walked through the room with people having cigarettes, picked up the couch. We're like, sorry to disturb you. And we came back and I'm like, there are hundred percent squatters in the blue house. They're not supposed to be there. And, and so we, I freak out. I'm terrified. Immediately I'm terrified. And we call the police 911. I'm like, there's squatters in the blue house. They're going to steal all of our valuable candles. <laughs> like, oh no, criminals come get them. And so before the police arrived, um, they, you know, kind of clued in that they shouldn't be there. And now that people know they're there. And so they all fled and left. So we walked through the house and like the movie's playing, a few Awakeners are watching it, but me and like Chris and a police officer are in the blue house, like looking through the mess. And I'm like, did I leave the door unlocked? Is this all my fault? Oh boy, so bad. But anyway, um, I'm taking photos of the place for like insurance and for a police report. And there's one item in particular that takes my breath away. You probably can't see it in this photo, but I grew up uh, raised by a smoker. And so I know that when you don't have a lighter or matches, you use the element on the stove to light your cigarette. If you didn't grow up in that world, that's okay. I did. And I see the purple Christ candle, the one right here, illuminated by the lights of hope, joy, peace, and love, is there beside the stove. And there's cigarette butts all over. And I know that what's happened is they don't have lighters and a match. And they'd gone downstairs and of all the candles... They found this one, having no idea, presumably, what it is and how significant this candle is in the life of the church and has been for like more than a thousand years. They've taken that and lit it and all of the cigarettes and there's also um, pipes and uh, little glass pipes and little baggies of cr crystal looking things. 
And all of those cigarettes were lit in that pipe. All those drugs were used by the flame of the Christ can. And I stood there and I couldn't, it took my breath away to think that we were sitting here watching a Lent movie called Silence, a church wondering where God is and realizing God is next door smoking cigarettes by the flame of the Christ candle. And my heart shattered in a million pieces because as soon as I had heard this happened, my heart labeled the oh, bad people, druggies, delinquents, vandals, sinners, thieves, prostitutes, enemies. And there's that purple candle right there on the counter. And I mean, this, this house was trashed. It took us weeks and many people to clean up and uh, figure that all out. And there in the middle of the chaos and the darkness was this Christ candle. And suddenly, I didn't see bad people, druggies, delinquents, thieves, squatters. I saw Jesus. I saw hungry people, traumatized people, human beings looking for the light just like you and I. I saw people trying to find home who found an unlocked door and called all their friends. I saw people trying to escape the darkness, people who are unbelievably alone, invisible to the world and more invisible probably to the church. I saw people forgotten, people crying out, forsaken by God in, in their understanding, people whose soul had never felt its worth, people weary, and hopeless, people enslaved to pain, people to whom Christ was born. And that Christ candle, all, every Sunday I've sat here and I've thought about that blue house and I thought, I wonder where those people are right now, right? What are they doing right now, eight months later? Where is Jesus in this city? Will I get to the end of my life and say, where were you? And Jesus will say, I was right there. And you could have chosen the way of love and to see me, but often you just saw inconvenience, a burden, and bad people, and you went to be with the like heroes of your community instead. I was right there. And I think that Christ candle there has inv invited me in that moment, like, like the, the dream invited Joseph to choose a better way. And so um, I'm going to pray for us now. And then um, a few uh, very talented awakeners are going to come lead us in O Holy Night. Um, but I want to pray uh, that we could be like Joseph and acknowledge Joseph's yes, and that we would also say yes um, to see God in one another. And before we judge and see there's a problem, this is difficulty, that we would be open and curious and say, perhaps this is of God. And perhaps the God I've been waiting for is here in this person. So let me pray for us. God of Joseph, I pray that you would visit us in dreams. Give us faith to respond to dream visits. Give us faith to choose love when our culture and our tradition would tell us we're allowed to choose distance and, and hatred or, um, I don't know, the way of principle over people. Give us an openness that you might be right in our midst in a form that we think is weird and uncomfortable. I ask that you would open each person here um, to look for you in the darkness, to look for you in the lonely places, 
to look for you in that space between waking and sleeping. Give us the strength to look for you in one another. And I pray that we as a church would not imagine that we are the thing that you're doing in this world, but that we are like the midwives or like the, the dad in the delivery room, simply protecting and making safe space for whatever it is that you are birthing in our midst. Give us the courage to be a minor character in the big story of what you are doing in our world. We pray in Jesus' name uh, with him on that holy night and that silent night. Amen.